Put your hands together for him tonight. Hallelujah. Amen. Why don't you sing this song with me? I will enter his gates with thanksgiving. Amen. Key of C, I believe it is. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I'll enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made I will rejoice for he has made me glad oh he has made me glad yes he has made me glad I will rejoice for he has made me glad he has made me glad oh he has made me glad I will rejoice for he has made me glad I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. And I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. Oh yes, he has made me glad. Yes, he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad He has made me glad, oh he has made me glad I will rejoice for he has made me glad Oh let the redeemed of the Lord say so Let the redeemed of the Lord say so let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I'm redeemed, I'm redeemed, praise the Lord. Oh, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I'm redeemed, I'm redeemed. Praise the Lord, I've been redeemed by love divine, oh glory, glory, Christ is mine, oh to Him I have resigned, oh I have been, I've been redeemed by love divine, oh glory, Christ is mine, all to Him I now resign, I have been, I Amen, hallelujah, sorry I think we had it in a little bit of a high key there for you, amen, hallelujah, you love Him, amen, let's sing another uh, 
song slips my mind. Hosanna, blessed be the rock. That's it. Hosanna, blessed be the rock. Blessed be the rock of my salvation. Hosanna, blessed be the rock. Blessed be the rock of my salvation. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, for He is worthy to be praised. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, for He is worthy to be praised. Blessed be the rock, blessed be the rock of my salvation. Hosanna, oh blessed be the rock, and blessed be the rock of my salvation. Well, glory, glory to His name, He lives and reigns forevermore. Hosanna, blessed be the rock, oh blessed be the rock of my salvation. Hosanna, blessed be the rock, blessed be the rock of my salvation. Jehovah Jireh is his name, for he provideth all my needs. Jehovah Jireh is his name, for he provideth all my needs. Hosanna, oh blessed be the rock. Blessed be the rock of my salvation. Hosanna. Blessed be the rock. Blessed be the rock of my salvation. Amen. Can we bring it up to the key of G? If you're in the battle for the Lord and right, amen. We want to keep on the firing line. Let's sing it together. Well, if you're in the battle for the Lord and right, keep on the firing line. If you win, my brother, surely you must fight. Keep on the firing line. There are many dangers that we all must face. If we die of fighting, it is no a coward in the service, he will find no place, so keep on the firing line. Well, you must fight, be brave against all evil, oh, never run, or even lag behind. And if you win, God in the righteous, keep on the firing Only use a soldier he can trust 
right? Keep on the firing line. And if you wear a crown, then bear the cross you love. So just keep on the firing line. Life is but to labor for the master dear. Built to banish evil and to spread good cheer. service here oh, keep on the firing line well you must fight be brave against all evil never run or even lag behind if you will oh, just keep on the firing line and when we get to heaven Just keep on that firing line And when we see the souls that we have helped to win Leading them to Jesus from the paths of sin And with a shout of welcome we'll all march in Oh, keep on the firing line Sing it now But you must fight Hallelujah, oh hallelujah Well he's my rock and my shield Yes he gives power to all Hallelujah, oh hallelujah And now I'm free from condemnation Cause Jesus is the rock all of my salvation I can run through the tree and leap over a wall Hallelujah, oh hallelujah, sing it now. Well, I can run through a tree and leap over a wall. Hallelujah, oh hallelujah. Well, he's my rock and my shield, and he gives power to all. Hallelujah, oh hallelujah. And now I'm free from condemnation Jesus is the rock of my salvation I can run through the truth and leap over a wall hallelujah oh hallelujah amen give him some more praise hallelujah amen aren't you glad you're free
and we welcome all of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sorry for the blip uh, with our microphone there, but I think we're back on now. Even though I cannot see you, I'm glad to be able to minister to you this way. Uh, we are certainly hoping that we don't have to do this on a regular basis, but for now, uh, we're able to get together and to enjoy um, the good things that God has for us. So we appreciate uh, we appreciate the blessings of the Lord and for the good things that um, He provides for us. And I trust that all of you are doing well. Got a couple of uh, prayer requests here tonight, and uh, wanted to mention that there is a sister. In Arizona, her name is Angela Boyd. Uh, some of you may have seen her um, name come up on social media and so forth. Uh, and she's very, very sick with the uh, virus. She's in hospital. Uh, she was making some recovery and is in very serious condition again. So we want to remember her in prayer. Uh, also as well, uh, Eric Hughes, who is the son of uh, Troy and Connie Hughes, uh, we want to make mention of him as well. His condition is very serious in the hospital, uh, heavily sedated, and the machines are breathing for him. And so we want to hold him up in prayer as well. Uh, they were going to do a procedure on him this evening and uh, couldn't get it done. On a positive note, uh, just wanted to let you know that uh, Brother Matt Cross was tested for the virus for his uh, work requirement, and he tested negative. And so Brother Matt is hopefully cleared now to go back to work. And so we're thankful for that. That's an answer to prayer. So I want you to take your prayer request this evening now and just hold it, uh, hold it before the Lord. And we trust that uh, God will meet your need. Whatever your need is, remember, it's never insignificant with God. It is never anything that is inconsequential uh, to God. He already knows the need, he knows the answer, and he knows the way to the answer, and that's our confidence tonight. So let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we are thankful, Lord, to live another day, to fight another day, to be able to stand for you today, and to be able to uh, join our voices together in praise and thanksgiving and in prayer for the things, Lord, that uh, are upon our hearts tonight. And Lord, we know that some of these saints here are not well due to the virus. Some of the family members and friends that we have are not well. And so we curse this thing in the name of Jesus Christ. And we see, Lord, it just rampaging across the country and Lord, hindering so many things. And we just pray now that you would give us strength, that you would give us protection. Lord, you have been gracious in allowing our church to remain open. And we're thankful for that. But Lord, there are people who are hurting, people who have a need of your touch. And so we invite you to come and minister, Lord, to their hearts, their bodies. I just pray that you would be gracious in helping them where they are. Lord, we love you. We ask your blessing upon our service tonight. And as we study the scriptures together, Lord, may we just be inspired to live and to reign and to walk in the way that you have anointed us and ordained us to walk in this last day. Lord, our way is narrow but all things are possible. We pray now for your anointing and we ask for your forgiveness as we proceed. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. And amen. And I'm going to have you turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2 tonight. We're going to begin reading there. Just a couple of quick announcements. Uh, if you happen to see Jesse and David Cockman, uh, it is their wedding anniversary 
today. And if you happen to see Carrie and David Whitlock, it is also their wedding anniversary today. We want to remember Sister Anna Pritchard and also uh, Erica Reagan, the daughter of Brother Reagan. They're still doing testing on her. Uh, we want to remember the Paschals up in West Virginia. They've been apart from us for a while. And I believe, Lord willing, they're going to be coming on this Sunday. Also had some contact with the Biltons uh, this week. And uh, just they wanted to be remembered as well. They said that they certainly miss everyone. The Buchanan family had, uh, his brother Keith and his family had a, a derecho windstorm that came through their place and did uh, some damage to their home. Sister Sarah was there uh, at the home when it happened. And that's always a scary thing. We have also experienced the same thing, and it is a very scary thing. So uh, we would ask you to remember uh, them in prayer as well. Now, uh, this is the time as well for you to get your phone out and uh, to be a part of the congregation that I can see, and that is to amen the word and uh, join in with us tonight. Let me read a little passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We want to title this, The Character of Kings. Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and this is a, uh, in a sense, he's kind of winding down this letter uh, to Timothy. Got a couple of more chapters that he writes here, but in uh, chapter 2 and verse 1, he writes, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So this is written like a father to a son. And Paul passes on some very uh, touching comments here to son Timothy. And then, of course, in chapter 3, he prophesies or warns about the end time and how things will become actually in the end time. But I want to uh, skip down to verse 10, if you don't mind, and pick it up uh, in the same chapter. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Now, I want to pause there just for a moment. I'm not done reading, but I want to pause there just for a moment and just underscore the, the sincerity with which Paul writes this phrase, that he said that he would be willing to endure all things, everything, for the elect's sake, that they might make it, that they might make it in that they might have the chance at glory that Paul knew he had. Paul knew he was in the, uh, in, in the line of the prophets and the sages of the Old Testament. He was very convinced as to his message and to his purpose in life. He was very sensitive about his mistakes, but he knew exactly where he stood. You'll find that uh, stated in verse 8. He says, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to not the gospel, but my gospel. So Paul knows that he's preaching exactly the truth that all and every Old Testament prophet prophesied about and that Jesus lived for and died for and rose because of. And now he's carrying the torch and getting ready to pass it along to those that would follow. And he said, Jesus was raised from the dead according to my gospel. So he's not out of line. He's exactly in line and knows exactly what he's doing. 
And he's saying that in verse 10, again, I endure all things for the elect's sake. Now, I would just like to say this to you, and uh, just as a, a personal note here, and I, I thought about this today, it was on my heart to say to you, and I, I, feel, I felt bad because I had never really said this or articulated this before, but I just want to say that I really appreciate all of you as a congregation, all of you as individuals in Christ. Um, I often think about, you know, in times past, I've had offers to minister in other churches and even offered lots of money to go preach, preach in other churches there. I honestly can tell you, and I'm not trying to say this to sound humble or anything else, but I, I'm just honored to be, uh, the pastor at HBT. I don't take that for granted. And I am just really uh, appreciative of the uh, character among us. We're not perfect. Uh, we are not without our struggles and our flaws, of course. But and we have a long way to go. But uh, I just would I want to say sincerely that if if I am going to be identified with any group, I am very delighted to be identified with this group. And I appreciate your faithfulness and for your attentiveness, your support. And, um, I just want to say that from my heart, uh, my wife is not with me here in the room, but, uh, I know she very deeply appreciates the, the congregation as well. And, uh, between us, uh, I just feel like I would do whatever, whatever I could do to make sure you make it. I would do whatever was necessary to make sure that our congregation got the best ministry, even if it wasn't mine to get the best ministry to get us across the barrier between this dimension and the dimension of the kingdom and, and, and get there. Uh, I'm, I'm not just, uh, I'm not just trying to be humble and I'm not just trying to say this to, uh, get a raise. I'm, I'm simply saying that, uh, I, I'm over my years, I, I've seen congregations, lots of congregations, and I, I, I just, uh, value our congregation very highly and really do appreciate you very much and uh, trust that the Lord will bless you. I feel like Paul felt that I would endure all things for the elect's sake at HBT. If I could write that in there in the scripture, I would. That you also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Uh, I would not, I feel about you as I would with family that I, I can't imagine heaven without all of our families there. So having said that, uh, I'm, I'm just uh, just humbled that uh, the Lord would bless me with such a, uh, a great group of people, and, and may the Lord richly bless you. Um, let's read on a little bit uh, more in the passage here. It is a faithful saying, Paul said to Timothy, for if we be dead with him, then we shall also live with him. If we suffer we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. And I want to just grab onto that little phrase of reigning with him. Uh, and we'll deal with that tonight when we talk about this subject of the character of kings. Now, when it comes to this idea of reigning with him, uh, I believe that throughout eternity as the queen of heaven, I believe we will reign with him. But I believe there's more to it than just that. I believe that we also are given the privilege to be able to reign in this life. And I want to talk about that principle tonight. 13, if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. And of these things put them in remembrance, 
charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of hearers. Now, let's just uh, jump right in here and talk a little bit about kings, because uh, kings are, are are very important to God. They are um, they are an integral part uh, of the whole program of, of God and what he intended for the earth. Uh, God's desire was, was to have a king eventually, because he knew that one day David would come, for instance. And uh, he, he was a man after God's own heart, and he was specifically groomed, uh, to be a king, and he was trained to do that. But prior to uh, David showing up, the people came to Samuel and they asked him, as a matter of fact, they pressed him uh, to choose a king or maybe have an election to have a king or appoint a king uh, so they, they could be like other nations, so they could uh, you know, be able to practice uh, their government and their, uh, their nation just exactly the way other nations did. They wanted to be like the rest. And uh, as a result, God told Samuel, he said, Samuel, uh, go ahead and uh, let them have their man. And of course, Saul was chosen. Um, Saul was good until Saul was not good. Uh, Saul maintained uh, his position. Uh, as a matter of fact, at, at first, he was given a lot of grace. He was given a lot of success in the early part of his reign. But you remember in the conversation that Samuel had with the people before uh, Saul was actually chosen in first Samuel chapter eight, Samuel, he, he countered the people and he said, all right, listen, if you want your way, you can have your way, but he will take the 10th of your sheep and he, and ye shall be his servants. You're going, you're going to have to be thrust. You're going to be put into a position of serving this King and you shall cry out in that day because of your King, which ye have chosen you and the Lord will not hear you in that day. In other words, when you ask for something, when you press for something and God gives it to you, um, you're going to have to deal with the consequences of it. And there's no point in going to God and asking for uh, an alternative because this is what you wanted. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, nay, but we'll have a king over us that we may also be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel heard all the words of the people and he rehearsed them in the ears of the Lord and of course, God told Samuel, go ahead. And he says, they have rejected you, but he said they have rejected me before they have rejected you. So this was a very important conversation, and it was certainly uh, one that uh, Samuel uh, warned the people about, and he had that insight to do that. Now, uh, what's interesting uh, here is that you'll find that God knew about this whole idea of kings long before the book of Kings or the book of Samuel. In Deuteronomy, in other words, you got to go back to find the Deut book of Deuteronomy. And in chapter 17, it says, When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shall possess it, and shall dwell therein, and say, I will set a king over me like as all the other nations round about me. So this is God, hundreds of years before Saul is even born, and he's saying exactly what happened. That you will say, I will set a king over me like all the other nations. Thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose, and one from among thy brethren shalt thou set king over thee. Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother. Now, it's interesting here because uh, God knows that people are going to call for a king. God also knows that David is going to come. But he gives instructions here about this uh, king whenever he takes his position. 
So he's got to take the first five books of Moses. He's got to write them out with his own hand. He's got to scribe them in a book, and he's got to read them so God knows, and the king knows the law himself because he's written it out. If you read Deuteronomy 17, it's all in there. And so God knows that uh, this king is to come, but he doesn't say anything in here also about a king coming from Judah. You remember in Genesis 49 when Jacob's dying, all his sons are around the bed, and he says to Judah, a scepter shall uh, rise out of Judah, and uh, you know a, a king shall come from thee, and so forth. So God doesn't say this in Deuteronomy chapter 17, but that's the prophecy that uh, Jacob gives on his deathbed. And of course, we know that godly kings all came from Judah. Godly kings all reigned 40 years. And so this is a, uh, this is a uh, if you like, a warning that God gives in Deuteronomy 17 that, yes, this will happen. Uh, the people will want a king. So enter Saul. He's the first king chosen by man. He's not from the tribe of Judah already. There's the first strike against him, and it's a very important strike. So in other words, he can't have the full blessing of God on his reign. Uh, he's from the tribe of Benjamin. Not saying that Saul is a bad man. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, it talks about his heritage here, and it says uh, that he was uh, um, um, he had a and he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man and a goodly. And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. At least they got a tall guy. I mean. I'm not sure that having short kings is a short uh, shortfall uh, or shortcoming, but uh, they didn't have that in Israel. They had a man who was head and shoulders above the people, and that's what they got. But in reality, that's all they got. Because Saul was good until Saul was not good, and he wasted his grace. And uh, we had a series of kings that uh, followed after Saul. And, of course, we know the next king was God's choice. Uh, he was a man raised after God's own heart. One of the things about David was that he was groomed, and uh, Saul was uh, chasing him for uh, roughly, according to history, we think about 13 years that Saul chased after David and ran all over the country trying to capture him. And when a man is chased for 13 years before he becomes king, he learns a few things. And uh, David certainly was uh, experienced by the time that he got to the throne. So... This whole idea now of a Gentile king is based on this idea that God warned the people about, that you're going to have to serve the king. And in the Gentile world, this is how it operates. The Gentile idea is about protecting the king. So the king would have butlers and servants around him. He'd have food tasters around him. These are the people that would eat food before the king, because if somebody was trying to kill the king and poison the food, then the butler or the food taster would go down first, and the king knew that he shouldn't eat that particular meal. So uh, everything about a Gentile king is focused on serving the king. Whatever uh, the king demands, then the people would give that, and, and everything becomes, in, in a sense, subject to the reign of that king. It's all about protecting him. Then all of a sudden, when Jesus shows up, he begins to reverse our thinking altogether, absolutely spin it around when it comes to this idea of leadership and greatness and servitude. When Jesus comes, he's acting like what a king would operate like 
in the kingdom of God because he does nothing unless the Father shows him first. So the way Jesus is acting here as a leader indicates to us a little bit about what a real king in the kingdom of God acts like. And in Matthew 20, Jesus called unto them and said, you know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them. And that they are great, they that are great exercise authority over them. That's the way we think. That's the way that they were warned in Deuteronomy about a king. He's going to take a tithe of his sheep. He's going to you know, raise taxes. He's going to have uh, sons and daughters who are going to come and serve in the kingdom. And there are many, many, many other things that are listed in Deuteronomy that a king will require of the people. All right? In verse 26, here's Jesus now. These are words in red. They're white on my screen, but there are words in red. But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever shall be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister to give his life a ransom for many. In Luke twenty two twenty seven, Jesus also says the same thing. He says, I am among you as one that serveth. So Jesus came to demonstrate what a king from the kingdom of heaven would operate like among his people. The great one would serve. The one who is chief, he would be your servant. He came not to be ministered unto. And this is a complete reversal. This is the opposite of what the Gentiles are used to in verse 25. This is the way it operates. And so therefore, Jesus, uh, let me summarize all of this and say this. And I, I wrote this down because I really like the way this sounds. We are to rule with the heart of a servant and serve with the heart of a king. Let me say that again. We are to rule with the heart of a servant and serve with the heart of a king. So for me as pastor of the church, and I think we could, we could honestly say uh, that the way Brother Branham operated according to the kingdom in, in his life, and if, if ever a man could have taken a position of authority or had people come and serve him or give him money or whatever, demand things from the people, people would have gladly given that to him. We find him doing it nowhere from the people. He says we are, he says, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just a servant uh, in, in the kingdom. And, and he, Brother Branham was very simple about that. In the same way that Paul says in verse 10 of 2 Timothy 2, I endure all things for the elect's sake that they may obtain the salvation uh, which, is, which is in Jesus Christ. So it, it's an amazing thing. These men who could have assumed a position of power and authority and chief never took it. In the Gentile context, they rather allowed uh, the, the people to benefit from their ministry and served. And I love the way that, the, I, I, I just like the way this sounds. I can't hear your amens. I can see some of your amens coming through on the phone. And that's really helpful for me because then I know uh, that you're listening and so forth. We are to rule with the heart of a servant and serve with the heart of a king. So when we say that we serve with the heart of a king, the way that, to me, a pastor should operate is that he's looking towards heaven, not towards this earth. He's not looking at Washington. He's not looking at the Queen of England. He's not looking at some monarch in the world. He's looking in the Bible 
to find out how kings operate, and we are to rule with the heart of a servant. In other words, we do things for the greater good of the congregation. We do things for the greater good of others. And we do not have a congregation that exists essentially just to serve the leaders, just to serve the pastor, just to serve the chief, but rather we have uh, a ministry that, uh, in which God has empowered us to be able to serve others. And I think that that's a very important distinction. Now, let me also say this, that uh, we, we know that uh, in, in the future, uh, that in the millennium, for instance, according to Revelation 20, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, on such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So we have a promise that we will be co-ruler with him in the millennium for a thousand years. I don't believe we'll have people who uh, come and fan us with big fans. Uh, I, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, but we have the opportunity to share the throne with him during the millennium. In the future home in Revelation 22, it says, And there shall be no night there. They need no candle, nor light of the sun. For the Lord giveth them light. And they, plural, shall reign forever and ever. So we have the promise of reigning in the world to come. In the kingdom of God, we have the promise of reigning. But to me, tonight, that's not good enough. I want to talk, I want to, to explore this idea of um, this, this, this concept of being able to reign in this life. And so I want you just to pause for a minute here. Now, we say that when it comes to a king, and that's our, with our subject tonight, character of a king. A king knows he has resources to expend or to utilize in the face of every problem he faces. A king has no one to pass the problem on to. When somebody comes to the throne, it's like coming to the White House, the Oval Office. It's like coming to the Supreme Court. Once we get there, there's nowhere in the land that's a higher authority. The great thing about the right kind of setup is that a king or a ruling entity has resources that he can use to throw at a problem to be able to solve it. So a king knows that he's in a position to do that. And we as believers, therefore, we have to begin to understand that our king, who is Father God, has all the resources necessary to resolve every issue that exists in your life. Whether it is the healing of your body, whether it is the oncoming economic collapse, uh, the, up, the upcoming economic downturn, whether it is a job situation for you, whether it is a wayward teenager, no matter what the situation is, when we go to God, when we go to Father God, we know he has the resources to resolve every problem and provide every answer. And he is not going to shuffle that off to somebody else and say, hey, you're going to have to go to a higher power. We are going to the higher power. Now, knowing that, we, I believe, have a responsibility to train the upcoming generation to also access the resources that are in God, in Christ, and be able to utilize them to deal with the issues that we face. 
Now, let me say, let me give you a couple of statements here real quick. Brother Branham said in the Messiah, 1961, he said, God called us and we become kings and priests unto God. That's scripture. Like Jesus was God's high priest, we become a lesser priest. So we are not the mediator. We are not the high priest, but we are a lesser priest. A man should look at himself in, as a position of a priest of his household. So should parents look at themselves as intercessors, as mediators, as ones who can uh, answer questions and pray for and ask for things from God on behalf of their family. Mm-hmm. We are not the high priest, but we are lesser priests. We have a position. Now, <clears throat> let's read on. As God was in Christ reconciling, God comes into his church and anoints some messiahs. The same power he had in is in his church. We say it again. The same power he had is in his church. He kinos, or he emptied himself into his church. And his church becomes his dominion. And he's king over this dominion. And we are kings and priests offering spiritual sacrifices to God, the fruit of our lips giving praise to his name. Glory to God. I think that's wonderful. There you are. Messiahs, little messiahs, little anointed ones, anointed off the main one, off the great one. I think that's fantastic. I'm not saying that. Brother Branham is saying that. That we are kings and priests, not the high priest, but a lesser priest but a priest nonetheless. And if you are off the main thing, if you are a chip off the block, if you like, then what you are is no different than what the entire block is. You are a part of that. You're not another something made. You are a part of that. And therefore, that gives you a connection to uh, the greater high priest. And it it uh, means that you're made of the same stuff as what the main block is or the main high priest. All right. So I need you to hold on to that idea. We're going to explore that in just a little bit. Now, this was, uh, this was again, Jesus here in Luke 22. I referred to this scripture. There was also a strife among the disciples, which of them should be counted the greatest. And he said unto them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. So in the Gentile kingdom, there's a hierarchy. There's one on the top, and there's all these uh, levels of people below. But ye shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief, as he that serveth. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat, or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as he that serveth. Jesus is not ashamed to describe himself as a servant, as the younger, as the lesser, as the one who's in a position to serve. He's not, he's not ashamed uh, to admit that. Because remember now, he's not looking at a model that exists in the world. He's not looking at the Roman Empire. He's not looking at the hierarchy in Israel at the time. He's looking at heaven and the pattern that is set forth there before he uh, exhibits that same pattern on the earth. That's his model. All right. Now watch what uh, Brother Branham says here in 1960 and hear ye him. All things are possible to them that believe. Say it with me. All things are possible to them that believe. We've got the untapped resources of God at our hands to display God. We are sons and daughters of God. When God made man, he made him a God. 
He gave him a dominion over the earth. Listen, but his fallen estate dropped that. But what they lost by Adam, it was restored by Christ. Glory to God. Now, that right there is a paragraph that is very substantial. Uh, thank you for your amens. Thank you for your responses here. We have a responsibility to teach the younger generation and generations that are forthcoming about these untapped resources of God at our hands to display God. We as the older generation, we are the people that can tell God, God is a sustainer. He gives us strength. He helps us to carry on. We've endured all kinds of things in life, sicknesses, divorces, church splits, all kinds of problems, all kinds of threats in the world, wars, rumors of wars, sicknesses, viruses, everything that can come. Hey, listen, we are a people of experience. We are people who have been marked by all of these experiences. But you know what? We made it through. And we didn't make it through because we figured it out or we're smart or we've got lots of money in the bank. We figured it out because of the we've, uh, we've learned to tap into the resources of God and to cast our cares upon him and to throw ourselves at his feet and say, Lord, we need your help right now. And we've seen him over and over respond to those cries in faith. And uh, he has sustained us through all of these uh, different times. And you know what? We go around testifying, hey, it's just amazing grace, how sweet the sound. The reason our church is still open is because of the grace of God. The reason why we still have health and strength is because of the grace of God. And we have to share that with the generation that's coming up. We have to make sure that they know there are resources and they're tappable and they're accessible to the people of God who approach God in faith. And we are sons and daughters of God. We are made for a purpose, and God gave us a dominion over this earth. Now, he said, if you say to this mountain, be moved and don't doubt in your heart, but believe that what you said shall come to pass, you can have what you've said. He restored us all to us all that was lost in Adam. Today we just think, listen now, today we just think, well, going to church, putting our name on the book, being immersed, sprinkled, shake hands of the pastor, that settles it. And then we come up to Pentecost, we receive the Holy Ghost, begin shouting and praising God. Nothing wrong with any of this. And the power of God come down and we spoke in tongues and heard them interpret it and make great quotations. That sounds fine. But we just stop there. In other words, we're just having religious meetings here. But that's just the beginning. He said, just keep, imagine, that's just the beginning. Those experiences are really just the beginning. Just keep moving on. Just keep going on and on and on. God is, am I reading this right? God is depending on us. He's depending on you to draw from the resources of God to display God. We are sons and daughters of God. We are sons and daughters of God to display God. I hope you can see that. We are to draw upon the resources in order to display God in the world. It's easy to display God in times of prosperity because everyone prospers. It's when times get tough and we're still singing Amazing Grace. We're still thanking God for his provision. We're st still thanking God for, uh, you know, the health and strength that we have and the joy of our salvation. That's when your testimony becomes different. And so Brother Random says, don't stop at the beginning. 
Stop when you get into a new body. Stop when you take your seat at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Just keep going on and on and on. God is depending on us to carry this through. Can you say amen? So therefore, these are very important things that uh, that Brother Branham's encouraging us to believe about ourselves. Now, let's go a little further here. Revelation 1.6. And he hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. He hath, past tense. Revelation 5.10. And he hath made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign upon the earth. So, <clears throat> 1965. So we have... Uh, the, the the beginning of his ministry, right to the end of his ministry. Here's Brother Branham saying that it's the Holy Spirit today hunting out honest hearts that will believe the message. And everything in the Bible that was promised is to that believer. And when you accept it in its fullness, and God knows that you'll do it, be a doer of the word. He gives you the abstract to that, and then every promise that's made is in your possession and the Holy Spirit is there to quicken that to you. Oh, my. What kind of people should we be? How wonderful to see the, uh, the, the God's uh, great Holy Spirit here to do that power. What a great statement. God's actually hunting out honest hearts that believe the message. Now, I want to draw your attention to Romans chapter 5. And if you have your Bible here, this would be a good one for you to turn to here in Romans chapter 5. Now, I, I would encourage you to take time to read chapter 5 because there's some very great principles that are found in it. And I've condensed the, the, the reading of 5 here for time's sake, but also for the purposes of getting to my point, to a couple of verses here. In verse 11, Romans 5, verse 11, not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement, that is a cause for joy. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So Paul's blanket statement is this, that sin was introduced into the world by the first Adam, and it affected every single human being that came into the world ever since. So all have sinned by, by virtue of the mistake that was made in the Garden of Eden. Okay? Now, the story doesn't end there. We know that. But Paul writes in verse 17, and this is what I want to draw your attention to. If by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness right here shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Now I want you to think about this. We already read the promise that we will reign in the millennium and we will reign in the future home. Paul is teaching us that we have the opportunity to reign in life through the grace of God and by the gift of righteousness because he has made us acceptable. He died for us. He took away our sins. Therefore, we have a communion and a connection with God that the world knows nothing about. Okay? It, it, also, uh, it, it also means that uh, we, we have an, an ability or a, an opportunity 
to reign in life by Christ because of what he did for us. It's not because you've attained a certain position. It is because rather that uh, we have believed, we have trusted in his provision, he has given us grace and extended grace to us who were undeserving, but he also he also has made us acceptable, he's made us righteous in the eyes of God. So therefore, you have a reign in this life by Christ that the world really doesn't understand. Therefore, the things of this world should not then have dominion over you, they should not weaken you, we should rather tread them under our feet. Now, <clears throat> let's let's introduce a problem, though, because in a perfect world, uh, you know what, Brother Barry, I shouldn't have any problems. But let me introduce some things to you that that cripple people, and every one of us can relate to these things. These are not these are not uh, somehow uh, you know reserved for bad people. Every one of us can identify with the five things in this list list of of, of items that cripple a person's walk or they, they, they hinder. Maybe there should be things that hinder a person in their walk with Christ. Resentment, regret, shame, guilt, and bitterness. Every one of us know what those things feel like. Every one of us have had to deal with these things at one point in our life or another, even after we've been saved. Those things exist to drag us down. Those things exist to try to make your relationship with God dysfunctional. Every one of us know what they feel like. It's interesting that resentment and regret are tied to things behind us. They are tied to things that existed in the past. Now, let me say this, that our identity is not wrapped up in whatever we perform. Our identity is not uh, based on service. Our true identity is based on the call of God or the voice of God that let us know who we really were, like the little eaglet that was in the barnyard. It was the voice of God that made that little eaglet aware of who he really was. And it is the voice of God through this word in this last day that gives us and and continues to maintain our true identity. So it's not based on performance or service or your accomplishment. But Satan will try to get in, and even though he cannot take away your true identity, he can still cause things to happen in your life that make your relationship with Christ less than perfect. That's what he tries to do. Now, <clears throat> my and I want to just dwell on this for a moment here, because like I say, every one of us have to deal with this. I want, to, I want to look at this like God looks at it tonight. If you're struggling with either one of these five things, resentment, regret, shame, guilt, or bitterness, I want you to, I want you to l listen to me in terms of how God views these things, okay? <clears throat> in Romans 8, in verse 38, and uh, this is a, a passage as well worth turning to. Romans chapter 8, and we come down all the way through the chapter, and Paul talks about what, what can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. If God be for us, who can be against us? And 
we come down to 38 and he says, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present right here, nor things to come, nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Now what's missing here? What's missing is things past. Why isn't the past there? Remember, this deals with resentment and regret. Sorry. Sorry, lost our, uh, lost our image here. Uh, we're going to get that back here just for a moment. What's, what's missing here is the past. And what Paul is telling us is that in the past, sorry, <clears throat> the things that are past are not listed here because, and this is important, that's why we just had the interruption, the things in the past have been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. You don't own them anymore. You don't own your past. It's gone. You have been separated from your past by the blood of Jesus Christ. So you don't even own it. As a matter of fact, when you try to look back at your past, now I'm, again, I'm looking at this as God would look at it from the kingdom perspective. If you could see how God sees your past, all he sees is blood. He doesn't see things as they were. He sees the blood of Jesus Christ. So therefore, your past does not even exist in the eyes of God. And I have news for you. Your past is not yours from the perspective of the kingdom. Now, your mind is hanging on to things that happened in your past. And you say, well, you know, but I did this and I did that. And my, my upbringing was this and my life was this. And I was hurt back there. Let me tell you, that's your mind remembering it. That is not how God sees it. Paul assures us, I am persuaded, that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come, nothing is mentioned about your past is going to separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Because isn't it true that for most of us, our remembrance of the past would be the thing that would haunt us more than anything else? I did this and I committed a sin or I did something terrible and I was not honest or whatever else. And it's our past that we hang on to, that if it could, it would probably separate us from the love of God that's in Christ. But here, it's not even mentioned. And that's not an oversight. That's not a mistake on the part of the author. That is intentional because your past has been bought and it is not yours anymore. Trust me when I tell you that. Now, you'll find another complimentary scripture over in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I'd like to read that for you uh, this evening here, first Corinthians chapter 13. And this is what Paul writes at the end of the chapter, uh, in, in sorry, first Corinthians chapter three, Paul writes at the very end of chapter three, he said, therefore, let no man glory, let no man glory in men for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos, listen, or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. All, and ye are, ye are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Paul says it again, that there is nothing present or nothing in the world to come, he said, uh, that is, is anything that we should linger on or that we should glory in. It is gone. It's not even yours. In the eyes of God, 
You don't even own your past. It's gone. Now, let me let me let me uh, <laughs> let me say this because naturally we, we have things in our life that we regret, and we remember those things. And and we're just being very honest here. Okay, listen to Brother Branham and his life story. Here's one of the greatest examples of regret you'll ever find. He said, instead of listening to God, I listened to that woman, his mother-in-law he's referring to. She might be sitting here this afternoon. She's a good woman, but she just didn't understand at that time. Then sorrow set in. And after that, a little girl, Sharon Rose, was born. The 1937 flood came up. Sorrows began to break in. Things went wrong at the church. Congregation began to drop. Just got out of harmony with God. One, Just get out of harmony one time with, with God. Friends, I'll always regret it as long as I live. So as a human being, Brother Branham can't escape the memory of what happened there. You talk about carrying a mistake and carrying the guilt and the regret of, of that mistake. But you got to remember now that in the eyes of God, he does not see that because it's covered by the blood of Christ. I'm, I, listen, folks, that is a tremendously comforting thing. You ought to, if you don't have your phone, you ought to dig out your phone and text an amen here. Tell somebody amen near you. I think that's just a wonderful thing. Listen now, again, here's another example. Brother Branham, he's talking at the beginning of the meeting here in second paragraph. And if I had one regret in my life, the greatest regret, I have many of them, but the greatest regret is I didn't give my life to the Lord Jesus when I was younger. I was perhaps about 20 years old when I made that decision. And I can say amen to that because I, I lived to about 20 years. <laughs> I did a lot of a lot of bad things in 20 years, and I never gave my life. I would love to have been a teenager and to have been in my school years to live for Christ. I would have loved that. But remember now, you know what God does about this? You know what God's response to this is? Nothing, because he doesn't even see it. He doesn't go back and change the past. He doesn't go back and raise up uh, Sharon Rose and, and Hope Branham. He does not go back and convert Brother Branham as a 10-year-old. He doesn't change anything about the things we regret in life because he does not even see them. They are removed from us as far as the East is from the West. So your past God does not even connect with you because, number one, it's removed. Number two, it's purchased. And number three, it's covered. Hey, it's impossible for God to bring it back and to see you again. Glory to God. I think that's wonderful. I wish I had somebody to text and say amen. Now, again, here's another one. If you get a resenting audience, the Holy Spirit won't even reveal. You've got to have something that, that uh, you got to have something that's working together. They were in one place and one accord in the day of Pentecost, and there came a sound from heaven as a mighty rushing wind. No matter how much I'd pray, lay day and night studying and praying before the Lord, walk down here, maybe the anointing on me, walk up here and feel that resentment. It grieves him right away. He won't reveal nothing. Now, there is a resentment. There is a resentment in rebellion. And you remember, uh, there's another example in here you'll find where Brother Branham talks about uh, the epileptic child. And he said there was a congregation of about 26,000 people and he said, I felt this resentment coming all the time. And uh, there was a, a man down there who was a minister from Michigan. He had his head uh, held up and he wouldn't bow his head. And Brother Brandon was trying to get his head bowed because uh, he knew that that spirit would be loosed and he would go to, to somebody who did not submit themselves 
uh, in the presence of God. And Brother Branham, actually, I read the story today. Brother Branham sent an usher down to that man and said, you need to bow your head. And the man said, this is a free country. He said, you have no right to tell me what to do. He said, I will not bow my head unless I want to. Brother Branham says from the pulpit, he says, so be it. He says, but I'm not responsible anymore. And that's when he said that epileptic spirit went and left that boy and and descended on that man and he was carried out there an epileptic. That kind of resentment is, is the kind of thing that hinders the Holy Spirit. All of us naturally in our memory, in our heart, in our family, we would have regrets, we would have memories, we'd have guilt, we'd have shame for things. We, we remember it. Hey, it's there. We cannot deny it. We know it's there. But I will tell you something. In the eyes of God, and this is the way I'm looking at it tonight, in the eyes of God, he does not even see it. There's a scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So therefore, if if this is the case then, and we have laid that thing to rest, the beginning of the shift in your thinking about your identity begins right here. If you think that you will never have the opportunity to reign in life, you need to go back and look at these scriptures again that exclude commentary about your past and let the reality of your true identity come to the surface because you actually are a king and a priest, not the king. You are a lesser king. You are not the high priest. You are the lesser priest. But if you can, if you can grasp the strength of your identity in that position of sinlessness and righteousness by grace. Let me tell you something. You will begin to learn to reign in the earth. And that is the point. of If you can grasp that tonight, that is where the beginning of the shift in your identity and your thinking about yourself really begins, is when you can see yourself as righteous and forgiven and established by the grace of God as a king and a priest in the earth. Now, let me say this one more thing about your past. If your past is gone, don't go get it. It'd be like um, if if you sold a vehicle to somebody, uh, let's say you sold it to somebody in town, and then all of a sudden you're going through a drawer and you find an old spare set of keys for that vehicle. You can't go down and just take that vehicle and drive it around after somebody legally bought it from you. Uh, it's not yours. It's been bought by somebody else. Even though you have a key, you don't have a right. Your past is locked away in the same manner. You may have a key. In other words, you may have the ability to, to think about that, to, to reflect upon it. You may even have triggers in your house that remind you of your past, you know, things that went on, pictures or mementos or whatever else, uh, associates that trigger memories of the past but you don't have a right to ownership because somebody paid for it. Your sins have been bought. You've been paid for. You've been redeemed. You've been bought out of the pawn shop. And so therefore, you don't have a right to go down and take that car and drive it around even though you once owned it. You legally once owned it, but now you don't. So now, once you once this identity shift kicks in, 
and you begin to think of yourself as a king and a priest. Now you're in a position now to begin to reign on the earth. But remember, what Satan is against now, if he held you uh, before under the weight of shame and guilt and resentment and so forth, if he held you underneath that weight of those things in the past, and by God's grace, now you're free from that, remember, Satan is going to be against the forces that make you think differently. He's going to be against the kingdom and whatever it is that influenced you to think that way. So in other words, when when a person's identity, the realization of their true identity begins to kick in, listen to me now, Satan begins to fight harder because he not only will try to find avenues to fight you, but he will fight whatever that kingdom power is that influences you contrary to the way he successfully influenced you in the past. For instance, if you lived under the weight of shame, but now you realize you're free in Christ, your past is not yours, it's been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, and according to Romans 5.19 now, you're able to reign in life by grace and by, by his righteousness, not yours, but by his righteousness. Satan is going to continue to fight you, but he's also going to fight that kingdom that has influenced you to think this way. That's why people fight the message. That's why people make websites, you know, contrary to the message and they criticize Brother Branham and everything else. Those are forces of another kingdom fighting the kingdom that's able to influence your thinking. And that's exactly what's going on. And I will tell you that that only will increase in our world. As we get closer to our kingdom, as we get closer to our new body, as we get closer to reigning as kings and priests in the earth through faith in Christ, Satan will rage against the kingdom that's making you think that way. Politicians, the government, restrictions, all kind, maybe persecution, all kinds of things that will cause a squeeze in our life because Satan has an influence in the kingdom of this world against the kingdom that's making you think contrary to his kingdom. And you're in the middle of all that. That's why we live in the atmosphere of the greatest battle ever fought. Now, let me just go on and say that money doesn't, money doesn't rule you. Sin doesn't rule you. Lust doesn't rule you. You had to be very careful about what has dominion over you. Because if you let it, things will have dominion over you that are not appropriate. But just as an example here, in Acts chapter 5, you remember when Ananias and Sapphira came in front of Peter and the other disciples, and they said, we sold the land, and uh, we brought the the uh, selling uh, price, we brought the money, and we're, we're going to donate it now to the church. And Peter stands there and says, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained... Was it not thine? In other words, you had dominion over that land when it was in your name. And after it was sold, was it also not in thine power? Like when you had the money, uh, you had control over the money. Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but lied unto God. In other words, in reality, money doesn't control you. 
you control the money. You control the land before it was turned into money. But now it's turned into cash, and you had control over that. What is going on here? There's another kingdom that has influenced your thinking contrary to the Holy Spirit. And Peter says, he says, you, you've not lied unto men, but you've lied unto God. So the influence now, you can see what's going on here. It's not the money that has had uh, influence over Ananias and Sapphira. It is rather the influence of another kingdom that used the money. But hey, Peter says, no, in reality, that piece of land didn't have power over you. And that cash didn't have power over you. It's what you decided to do with it that created the problem. And that's what Peter recognized. That's what the Holy Spirit alerted him to. So Brother Branham says it this way as well. If our life comes from up there, then we act like that up there. Our life is from a holy place. It looks and dresses different. The women up there have long hair. They don't wear manicure. They wear short. They don't wear shorts. They wear skirts, long dresses, long hair. So the nature of it from up there reflects back on us. So you can see there are two kingdoms. One kingdom is influencing the people of the world. Another kingdom is influencing the, the believer. And it is those kingdoms that are in, in constant conflict. And Satan rages against that kingdom that influences your thinking when once he had success in influencing our thinking. The men who are influenced by the kingdom of God don't smoke, chew, lie, steal. They come, uh, they come their spirits come from a holy place. Makes them act holy, recognize one another as brothers. We're of a kingdom, and we have a king. And he is the king of saints. And when a person is sanctified, Christ the Holy Spirit moves into the heart and becomes king over them. So it's not you. It's Christ in you that Satan rages against. So we have a contentment. We don't have to dress like the world. We don't have to have money like the world. We don't have to spend our money like the world. We don't have to live for the moment like the world. We have a freedom in Christ to be a Christian and to reflect the grace and the mercy of God. We have a contentment in this world. A contentment is not the absence of a desire for more stuff. Contentment is not the absence of a desire for more stuff, but rather it is a refusal to let circumstances or need to define your identity and rob you of your joy. That's worth saying again. Contentment is not the absence of a desire for more stuff. So in other words, if I don't have a desire for, I, hey, I could, be, I could be lazy, so I don't have a desire for more stuff. That's not true contentment. True contentment is a refusal on your part to let need or circumstances define who you are and steal your joy. I'm not going to let the fact that I lost my job steal my joy. I'm still a son of God. I'm content with that. I have a peace that comes with that. I may not want more stuff. I can tell you in my life, I, you know, people ask me, what do I want for my birthday or for whatever else? Father's Day. I, I, I really don't have many things that I, I, I need. By God's grace, he supplied many things that I need. That may or may not be contentment. I mean, I may be content with that. But I will tell you this. 
if I lost real contentment means this, if I lost everything, I would not lose my peace or my joy because I don't have stuff because stuff, lots of it does not create contentment. I hope you understand the difference. So therefore we have a peace and a contentment that the world really doesn't know anything about or would find it hard to achieve because they grade their contentment or they measure their contentment based on the quality and the amount of stuff that they have. So here's Paul's writing. If we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death has no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, and that he liveth, he liveth unto God. So I have news for you. Death doesn't have dominion over you. Secondly, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Let me say 14 again. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Death doesn't have dominion over you. Sin does not have dominion over you. Unbelief does not have dominion over you. Circumstances does not have dominion over you. Viruses don't have dominion over you. Your neighbors don't have dominion over you. The Holy Spirit has dominion over you. You're a king. I'm going to leave you with one last quote. I appreciate your amens, and I appreciate the pull that I, I, f I actually feel here in my office here this evening. But let me just leave you with a quote because we've run out of time here. The resurrection of Jesus. If you have thought that there's been some good things said tonight. Thank you, and that's great. But listen to what this says. And notice, it's when you're discouraged, that's when the devil can really pour it on you. If you come to church and say, well, I don't know. I don't know whether I'll ever get any better or not. I've been prayed for twice. You might as well go home. But when you cast that aside, God don't want you to be frowning. God wants you to be happy. The human heart was made to be happy. Worry will cause cancer. Temper will cause cancer. Don't never be upset. Let's say that together. Don't never be upset. Just walk in his love. Amen. Knowing that you're walking in him and nothing can harm you. Neither powers, things present, things future, nothing can separate us from him. Let me say that again. Neither, neither powers, things present, things future, nothing can separate us from him. Pause. Notice what's missing. Brother Branham also says nothing about your past because your past is not in this picture. Your past is gone. We're in him, and we never come in by our own will. He, by choice, elected us and brought us into him. Amen. Last paragraph. So it's his business to take care of what he's took himself. No man can pluck them from my father's hand. Amen.
It's the Father who takes care of it. So what kind of power have you got over you to take care of you? The powers that created the universe. Amen. That blew like that, and every star went into its place. He watches over you. That's the kind of Father we have. Lord Jesus, how we thank you for your word. How we thank you, Lord, for a prophet who, like the Apostle Paul, stood right in the right place to receive the right things from you to give to the right people. Because the right people are listening tonight and they're benefiting from these words. Their faith is growing. Lord, they are beginning, I believe, to reign in life. And that's the goal. That's the reason that you provided such great grace and righteousness is so that we could reign in life. Heavenly Father, have your way, I pray. Have your way in our hearts. Forgive us, Lord, of our guilt and our shame and our resentment, our regrets, which are many. Lord, you know our past. You know, Lord Jesus, our struggles. Father, it seems like whenever we talk about the past, it, the conversation only re revolves around us. It's not found in the Bible, and it's not even found in the message, because our past has been purchased. So from the kingdom perspective, past is not an issue. It's gone. And our sins have been removed as far as the East is from the West. May, Lord, we be zealous, therefore, and repent. Make sure everything is under the blood. And, Lord, may you just strengthen your people. We think of those that are sick, those that are affected, Lord, by the current illnesses in the world and the millions of people that have been infected, Lord. And I, I pray that in the name of Jesus that you would just uh, just have your... Uh, Allow your healing virtue, Lord, to flow to those who desperately need that touch tonight. Father, we pray, Lord, for our assembly. We pray that you would uh, just uh, allow us, Lord, to continue to gather. We pray uh, uh, just an umbrella of protection over our church, Lord, that you might give us the, the protection we need, Lord. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would just now let these words fall into our hearts, Lord, and may they just take good good roots, Lord. They may create great trees in our lives, great strong trees. And Lord, I just want to say that I love you and thank you, Lord, for your grace with me and how patient you are. Bless my family. Bless the assembly. And Lord, may we just continue to serve your people with a servant's heart. And we'll give you thanks in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. And amen. God bless you, saints. Thank you for being here tonight and uh, for uh, responding. And uh, may the Lord richly bless you. Thank you, Brother Jeremy, for helping us out tonight and getting us all back online again. And uh, we appreciate uh, everyone's uh, cooperation and patience and involvement here in, in uh, enduring the broadcast. May the Lord richly bless you. And uh, we look forward to seeing you on Sunday. And uh, we just pray that you will stay safe especially our people in the medical field. We pray that the Lord will uh, bless you and, and keep uh, your angel very close by, that you can be protected from the sicknesses that you face every day. 
and the troubles that you see every day. We just ask that God would give you strength through all of that. May the Lord bless you richly, and until we meet, may God keep you in the palm of his hand. Good night.